0: Really excited about what we've been talking about uh, on Sunday mornings. We we love to open the Bible. We love to hear from God. Uh, because if you didn't know, uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd of this church. He knows what's best for all of us. And uh, he's the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. So when we look at Jesus, when we look at the word, we're getting a, a clearer picture of God. How many of you guys would say, I, I, I would love to know God more? I would love to know God more. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool because some of us, man, I've been there. We, I want to know God more. God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And I don't want to take that for granted. Each morning we gather, I'll, I'll be a, an annoying person that beats the drum every single time. That just to wake us up from the slumber that, that this is just mundane and normal and something that we can ignore. This is God's written word inspired by his spirit that that elevates and clarifies who Jesus is. And so this morning we get to do that. You can open your Bibles. We'll be all around, but we're going to be in Matthew 8 to 9. We're still kind of taking a trek through Matthew, if you're catching up with us, and looking through the whole book of Matthew to see what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, and how the kingdom of God, Jesus' is. Main topic he speaks about, the kingdom of God is coming into invading the earth in order to restore humanity. That's that's the tagline of this series, new season, same kingdom. That the kingdom of God, through Jesus, is moving into the world. And wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. And wherever the kingdom is, there is restoration into humanity that was once broken, being put back together again. So wherever Jesus is, he's here now, he's in... Your home, wherever you are, that's where Jesus is because He fills you. Uh, that is where restoration is happening, renewal is happening, and so the book of Matthew traces this theme of the kingdom of God. In the last couple of weeks, in particular, we talked last week about how the King Jesus is different than every other king. He's different than any other uh, every other king in a couple of ways. Matthew eight through nine, we read, and I, I don't know if uh, if you were able to read it the week before, but we kind of overviewed it and we saw all of the beautiful and powerful things Jesus did that were abnormal. Forgiving sin, healing a leper, touching on a woman that was healed for 12 years. We're going to look at that story in particular today. And healing her of a disease, a chronic disease. Forgiving someone's sin, speaking to the wind and waves, and the wind and waves died down. This king has, we said, all power over the physical world, and over the non-physical world, right? Jesus has all power over everything physical, sin, sickness, storms. But the sin also is something non-physical. He has power over demons, power over the enemy, over Satan, over dark oppression, over the other kingdom, uh, and over forgiveness of sins and judgment. And what makes this king so different from every other king... Is that he not only has all power, but he uses it in a non-selfish way. He uses his power, it flows out of him, and bends out of his compassion for people. He uses his power not for his own gain, but for others. So that was last week, looking at Jesus has all power to do anything. To do the things that we deem impossible. Jesus, come on, doesn't just have power like in the Bible time, he has power now who would say he has power today, the same power that he has today, as yesterday, and 2,000 years ago? That power didn't change. He has the same power. And so with that, I didn't want to move from that to say, that's great. He has the same power. I know if you're thinking anything like me, you probably were coming up with this thought of, man, but I want to experience the power that's that other people experience in those stories. Who would say that? I want to experience the power that they got to experience. I want to experience the healing. I want to see the miracles. I want to see those things happen. Is it just me? Or do you want to see that? Do you want to see that today? I want to see that. I might be foolish for thinking that and believing that, but I want to see it. So here's the question we're going to ask if you're taking notes. It's on the back of your bulletin. It should be a blank slate. Maybe taking notes on your phone. The question I want to ask today in conjunction with The fact that Jesus has all power and he heals all these diseases and all these people and fixes all these problems. If you notice, there was a connection between faith and power in all those stories. Every time someone got healed, he always referenced their faith. And so the question I want to answer today, ask and answer, is what is the connection between our faith and Jesus' power? What is the connection between our faith, the faith you have today, in this moment, and Jesus' power? Now that presupposes that there is a connection. There is, and I'm going to explain that, but it's really important for us to know the connection between our faith and Jesus' power. Why? Well, why is it important? Weren't these just stories for us to learn so we can have lessons about Jesus? No, they're here for us today. And I would say one of the reasons why this matters is they are inseparably linked together in the Bible for a reason that we can't afford to miss. Our faith in Jesus' power throughout all the scriptures, not just these two chapters, are inseparably linked together for a reason you and I cannot afford to miss. In other words, we need to understand the connection between our faith and Jesus' power because Jesus wants us to understand the connection between our faith and his power. And number two, I'm pretty sure I can say this. We all want Jesus' power, but are we all willing to do things on his terms to get his power? That's what this is talking about. This is what we're going to talk about today. We all want Jesus' power. I don't know anyone that wouldn't say, I don't want to be healed or my friend to be healed. Come on. We all want Jesus' power. But let's just not assume that Jesus just owes us this kind of power. I mean, he saved you, right? He saved you. That was the biggest, most clearest, miraculous demonstration of his power on the cross. And we're going to take communion today. Oh, I'm so excited for that. And partake and put our eyes back to the biggest miracle. The miracle above all miracles, the cross. The cross of Jesus. But we're not entitled to seeing all this power. He doesn't owe it to us. Like you signed up a contract to be a part of his kingdom. And he was like, well, this contract, if you love me and obey me, then I'm going to like do X amount of miracles in your life every single month. No, there is something that we need to get right, which is how do we approach and relate to Jesus? And that is on the grounds of faith. Jesus makes that so clear. There is an undeniable connection. And I want us to know about that. As I studied this, it was so convicting. That you can't just assume that because you're around Jesus, you're going to feel the same experience, the same power as other people around Jesus. There is a way to approach Jesus. There is a way to relate to Jesus. There is a way to receive from Jesus what we want to receive. And it doesn't just happen naturally or automatically. So, here's the outline if you're taking notes. Again, the question, what is the connection between the faith you and I have today and the power that Jesus has demonstrated and wants to demonstrate? The connection of faith, the essence of faith, and then the practice of faith. We're going to look at the connection. I want us to be very clear because it's very convicting and very compelling. that there's a very um, striking connection throughout all of Matthew and even the Bible. And then we're going to answer the question, okay, because of the connection, what is faith? Simple question, but I want us to make sure we're not assuming that we all understand faith because we did it once, that we can just tuck it away and not practice it. So we're going to end up putting it to practice by thinking through what it looks like in your life as we wrap our minds around communion. The connection of faith, the essence of faith, and the practice of faith. This is so important. I would say this... This moment that we get to spend together hopefully is impactful because I want us to experience the power. Jesus says, this is the way you will experience my power. So don't don't tune out. If you want his power, lean in to what it looks like to relate to him on his term. So first question. We want to answer the question, but we want to ask questions of the Bible. That's how we dig out stuff. When we look at the Bible, you want to ask questions because that makes you look into other things. Is there a connection between our faith and his choosing to heal and exercise? So if you're in Matthew 8, you can turn there. We're going to kind of skim over a couple of things. And I want you just to just see with me, right? See with me. Don't just take my word for it. See with me this very specific connection that Jesus makes. I wonder if we have been so caught on the miracles and looking at Jesus' power that we've taken our eyes off of what these people and how these people were posturing themselves in order to receive the power, because Jesus wants us to see both. So Matthew eight ten that's the first miracle that he does, first demonstration of his power that Jesus does in this two uh, section chapter. He comes down off the mountain. Remember, off the Sermon on the Mount, he just preached five through seven. He's coming down off the mountain. And the first thing he does was he heals a leper and he walks off and there's a story of a faith of a centurion. That means a Roman servant. In verse 10 of Matthew 8, you can read this story. We're going to gloss over these. Jesus is talking to this person and catch what he says in verse 10. Jesus marveled that only happens about three times in the gospels. And every time Jesus marveled three times is always about faith or unbelief. What made him marvel in a good way or be shocked in a bad way was always targeted around unbelief or faith. That elevates, hopefully, the priority of knowing what faith is in our life. Jesus marvels, saying that no one in Israel had the faith like this. He even went so far to say, look at y'all, the disciples. There are going to be people that are sitting in the kingdom that are not going to get in because people like this who are outside the kingdom, a Roman person, has more faith than you have. And Jesus' crux in that whole healing was the fact that he had great faith. And what does he say in verse 13? Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Without even going to the house, he heals the servant who was sick, but he ties it. Don't miss this connection. Go, let it be done for you, the miracle, the power, as you have believed. The power in proportion to his faith. Jesus' power in proportion to his faith. Now, it's not a one-to-one ratio. Your faith is not up there at the same level as Jesus' power. But there's a connection that Jesus is wanting to make. Verse 26 of chapter 8. Fast forward. Disciples are on the stormy sea. Remember that story? And he calms the sea. But did you catch what he says in the midst of the whole ordeal? When the disciples are saying, we're going to perish. Jesus doesn't say, you're overreacting. He doesn't say, oh, stop being scared. He does, but he connects it to something. Why are you afraid, verse 26, oh, you of little faith. We we want to see things from Jesus' vantage point, right? So if we're putting ourselves in Jesus' vantage point, then Jesus is looking out and saying, you guys are responding this way because of your faith. There's a connection. Okay, chapter 9. So, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Chapter 9, verse 2. Next miracle. He's talking to a crowd. He comes over, getting into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And look at what verse 2 says. And when Jesus saw there, what? Someone shout it. When Jesus saw there, what? Oh, I love that. Jesus saw their faith. Oh, good questions. Can Jesus see our faith? Does Jesus see your faith? He saw their faith. He didn't sense it because they made a commitment on a connection card six years ago. He saw it in that moment. He saw their faith and he said, Take heart and forget, and he forgave his sins. There was a connection between the miracle of healing. This person who was paralyzed and forgiving his sins. And it all had to do, it all hinged on seeing their faith. Fast forward to chapter 9, verse 22. Almost done overseeing and overlaying this. Chapter 9, verse 22. We're going to look at the story more in depth through the gospel of Mark. There's a little bit more of a a broader detail, uh, description of this. But he's talking to this woman who has a disease for 12 years. And I want you to see this. He heals her of the disease. But look at what he says in verse 22. Take heart, daughter. My power has made you well. No. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly she was made well. Now was it Jesus' power that made her well? Of course it was. But Jesus wanted her to see something. That of course it was his power. But he wanted her to see. And everyone else hearing. And for us 2,000 years. Don't get this twisted. This is for us right now in this moment. Her faith made her well. In Jesus' power. Connection with faith and power. And then verse 28. Last example of this. He's talking to two blind men. Look at what he says in verse 28. Two blind men followed him crying aloud. How mercy on us son of David when he entered the house, the blind man came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Again, undeniable connection between their faith and his ability to do it. Oh, Jesus is able to do whatever he wants to do. But somehow in his sovereign providence, he's connected it with our faith. And then he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Again, Jesus connects the two. Here's the observation that we should be making, all of us. Jesus clearly saw that his working power was a response to their faith or lack thereof. His working power was a response to their faith or lack thereof. Sometimes he could heal, sometimes he couldn't. I said this last week as one of the burdens, but in Matthew 13... This is very fascinating. I wish we could spend the whole morning talking about this. But this whole fascinating story of Jesus going back to his hometown. This is where we get the the, uh, phrase, the prophet has no honor in his hometown. He goes back. And let's just sit here and, and, and ponder these words. Because these are very strong words. He gets there. And Matthew needs to tell us this observation. Let's just turn there. Look in the Bible. Matthew 13 verse 58. sobering words I, I just want to say this I, I'm learning with you um, I haven't mastered this I don't, have a, I don't have a doctorate in faith and so I'm learning with you this is, this is uh, convicting and challenging to me as well Matthew thirteen fifty eight, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, that challenges my theology. Because in my box of theology, Jesus can do whatever he wants. And he can. And he does. But again, without limiting his sovereign authority as king who can do all, he has decided to attach his flowing out of his power to people's faith. And Jesus, the all-powerful king, did not do, could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief kept them from experiencing power that I believe Jesus wanted to exercise. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't willing. It was that they were not ready. And then Matthew 17. One last point to drill this home in case you're still fuzzy on the connection between faith and power. Same kind of story. Matthew 17, verse 14 to 20 is a story of the disciples not being able to heal and cast out this demon. They can't cast it out. So they're wandering around and Jesus is like, oh man, you faithless generation. How long am I going to be with you? I love it that Jesus, he uh, he was loving, but he wasn't putting up with it at that point. And they turn the corner and get out of the way because it's probably embarrassing. And and I can picture them all huddling up. You ever seen The Chosen? You guys are watching The Chosen? Really good. I I love the picture of Jesus. He's probably just like, he's probably not super mad, but he's probably mad enough to be like, you guys are fools. (laughs) And they're like, why couldn't we cast it out, Jesus? And he says, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. The points, again, Our faith has the ability to help us receive or miss out on God's power. Our faith, your faith. Not the faith that got you saved and walked into salvation and you received it for the first time and now you're saved. That's a gift from God. All faith, I think, is a gift from God. But the way you work out that faith because you live by faith, you aren't just saved by faith, you live by faith. That working daily faith has the ability to help us receive or miss out on God's power. I don't know about you, but that's really challenging. It changes the paradigm. Because if I don't experience a miracle, then I just kind of blame God for it. Well, God didn't want to do it. Maybe God wants us to go through this suffering, this disease. That's okay. Jesus is very clear that suffering is a part of his will. That happens. Our faith has the ability to help us receive, miss out on God's power. So here's some implications. I want to do this before we kind of look at what faith is. Undeniable connection, right? Who's convinced? There's a connection between them. Convinced? There's a faith connection, a connection between our faith and his power. We're not talking about this waving, this, this faith wand around, and we're bossing Jesus around. That's not it. But he wants to do something, and it connects to how we respond and see him in faith. So, Couple implications to make this real, because I don't want to just make that connection and we just walk away thinking, "Okay, that's great theological point." A couple things that I want to tease out from here: one's kind of a challenge, one's hopeful, and one's a reality. The reality, excuse me, there very well might be real things we are missing out on because of our unbelief and doubt. Right? Is that a fair e- implication? There very well might be real things that we are missing out on in real time because of our doubt and unbelief. Isn't that what the Bible says? They didn't experience the power that God wanted to orchestrate and demonstrate because of their lack of faith. We might not be experiencing the miracles we want to see because of our faith. Do you have a category for that? Is there a place in your theology for that? That maybe it's, we're not experiencing the miracles, not because God just doesn't want to do them, but because of our doubt. We not be might not be experiencing the healing we want in us or someone else. You know, I have this this back thing going on. I was born with like these degenerate discs. Basically, a doctor told me a couple years ago, I have a back like a 60-year-old. I was like, oh, thanks for being encouraging. Um, but one of the things, you know, it kind of flares up, so most of the time it's fine, and sometimes it flares up and it really is, is painful and limits me from doing things. And I've had people pray for me. I've prayed for healing. My wife asked. People have prayed, prayed, prayed for years, 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 probably back until college. And to be honest, when people prayed for me, there was times when I just didn't believe. I didn't have the faith. It was easier to say, oh, God probably just wants me to suffer so he can build my character. That's a cop out sometimes. That's a cop out. For me, it was a cop-out. For me, it, 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 it kept me at arm's distance from having to wrestle with the fact that maybe I didn't have the faith that he could heal me. Maybe it's not a cop-out for you, but it was a cop-out for me Again, we're not going to always realize and understand God's plan. I'm not saying that it's always a one-to-one ratio, that your faith is always the reason why you're not going to heal. That's not it. Don't let me say that to you. Don't hear that from me. I'm not saying if you just had enough faith, everything you wanted to be done would be done. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there is a level of faith that we can have that will allow us to see more than we're seeing now. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Our doubt might be a reason we are experiencing less of God than we expect. And we have to be okay to wrestle with that. Number two, this fights the lie. This fact that there's a connection fights the lie that God is not willing or able to do things for us. Right? I can see this playing out this way. If it's always God and never us, then we could start becoming bitter at God because he's not healing our kids, our family, our marriage, this world, this city, this problem, doing a miracle in this part of the, our lives. And I want to say this with all the pastoral love I have, and this could be said to me as well, some of us have to stop blaming God for a problem that we might be causing on our own. I, that's really, I didn't even want to write that down because I felt like, ooh, that's tough. But like, I can't even just be real. If, if we were to zip back to 2,000 years ago when Jesus was in his hometown and we were there asking Jesus, wow, Jesus, what's going on? Why didn't you really heal them? He would have said what the Bible tells us to look at, sorry, I wanted to heal them, but sometimes it's on their faith. Sometimes they're the obstacle to their own healing uncomfortable to think about, right? Because we have the category that Jesus is all-powerful. Why doesn't he just snap his fingers? I was talking to someone for months and months that uh, was wrestling through atheism and doubts and skepticism, and I met with him week after week, and the question always came up, if God wanted to really heal, if he was really real, he would take care of all our problems right now. And because he knew that if God was all-powerful but there's still problems, that proved to him that it really wasn't a real God. His mind was, if God's all powerful, everything would be fixed. It's possible that some unanswered prayers are not his problem, but ours. Again, I'm not telling you which ones are our problems. I don't know. Our job isn't to, catch me, look at me, stop taking notes. Our job isn't to figure out which prayer, which healing, which miracle is more our responsibility and our problem or his. That's not the, the, the whole problem. The problem, the, the point, isn't to try to figure out when Jesus is going to heal and how, but that we need to have the faith that he wants us to have to experience the things he wants us to experience. Not to put him in a box, right? I don't want to put him in a box. It's about knowing that our faith is the thing we need to focus on, not on when or where. Like, we're going to schedule out his healing. Because I know, I've, I've, been to, I've been to meetings. I've been to healing meetings. I'm sorry, But Jesus doesn't sync up with your Google calendar. You sync up with his. You can't plan a revival. You can't plan a revival. You can posture yourself to experience revival, but you can't plan revival. You can't plan healing, but you can posture yourself with faith to receive God's healing. And I want us as a church to posture ourselves to experience all God wants us to experience. You down with that? You want to, I don't want to plan it. I don't want to manufacture it. I don't want to force God to. You can't. But we have to believe God is more willing than we are to do these things. <laughs> we have to believe. Family, don't get it twisted. Your passion and desire to be healed does not outflank God's passion and desire to heal you. Oh Jesus, I want to be healed more than you want to heal me. No. Again, I don't know why he does all those things. It's a mystery. That's why he's God. But just let, let, let's just rest in this promise that God's desire for your good is more than your desire for your own good. Let's not be skeptical. Let's be hopeful. I love what my friend Ray Orland says. If you're not coming alive, your problem is not Jesus, but your own standoffish neutrality. Which the Bible calls not neutral, but unbelief. Actively dishonoring him. Let me read that again. He could be mean to you. If you're not coming alive, your problem is not Jesus, but your own standoffish neutrality. Why can he say that? Because Jesus wants everyone to come alive. Are we going to put that chip in and say yes or no? Does Jesus want everyone to come alive? Or he wants only a few people to come alive? Did he come and die on the cross so a few people? Or more people can be experienced. Or all people that want the gift can receive the gift. All people. It's theirs for the taking. So the problem then probably doesn't lie with him as much as it relies with us. Number three, lastly, it's more hopeful. There are real miracles waiting to be experienced on the other side of our faith. Can we believe that this morning? There are real miracles. I want to read you a verse. Real miracles waiting to be experienced in this church, in your life, on the other side of our faith. Why do I say that? Matthew 17:20. Let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. And we're just going to sit and ponder this for a second. 17:20. He said to them. This is right after. He couldn't heal the demon. Cast him out. And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Listen, church family. When I read that verse last night, I was struck with only two options. We believe it or we don't believe it. There's no there's no middle ground when we hear that verse. Now, Jesus isn't promising that you're gonna move a mountain that was a cultural idiom to say that you can do things that seemingly seem impossible. No one's moving mountains. But he says, nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus was being metaphorically, you know, exaggerative in talking about moving mountains. He was not being metaphorically exaggerative in saying nothing will be impossible for you. He was not just kind of going like, ha ha, but there's going to be a couple of things impossible for you. Of course, let scripture interpret scripture. He's talking about things done in his will, for his glory, according to his plan. Of course, all those are what we're talking about. It's not that you just want to do whatever you want for your life. So I'm going to dream it. God, I have faith. Give me a million dollars. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that the things that he desires and commands us to do are not impossible if we had the faith the size of a mustard seed. I'm going to talk about that later on. But the point that we need to just come to grips with and wrestle with right now in this moment is that real faith in Jesus opens up a doorway into the impossible. Ooh, Chris is getting all mystical. No, I'm getting all Jesus-y. Oh, but Chris, you're you're kind of going too far into this charismatic Pentecostal. I don't care. You can label me whatever you want. You can, I'm I'm in the box of Jesus. If Jesus said it, I want to believe it. I mean, let me tell you, church family, I don't believe it right now all the time. Okay? If you're being like, wow, Chris has the faith. I don't have the faith always. I hope some of you have more faith than sometimes I do. It's a battle. Why do you think Jesus talked about faith so much? he wanted us to have the right kind of faith. To understand faith matters. We want to take Jesus at his word. So at this point we should all be asking the same question. Okay, if there is a connection between my faith and Jesus' power, then what does real faith look like that connects us to his power? What does it look like? Come on, tell us. I mean, is there a I, I look so much in the scriptures for like a formula. Just have this kind of thing and do this, and you'll receive this power. And although it's not there, <laughs> the formula isn't there, there are some really very clear examples of what faith looks like demonstrated in the Gospels. So what I want to spend the rest of our time doing, and it's going to be really encouraging, I hope, look at a story that Jesus has in Mark 5. You can turn there. The reason why we're going out of Matthew is it's the same story in Matthew, but Mark just writes with a little bit more detail that I want you to notice. And I want to answer the question, now that we know there is a connection, our faith matters, it's not always Jesus saying, I don't want to heal, it's our faith that gets in the way sometimes, then what does real faith look like? Now we're talking about kingdom of God stuff here. And we're talking about being a kingdom person, experiencing kingdom power, and we want to posture ourselves to experience his power And so what does that real faith look like? Mark 5. I want to read this whole story out loud to you. And hopefully you're going to see where we're going as we walk through this. Say amen when you're there. Chapter 5, verse 21. You okay with reading some Bible this morning? Good, because if you weren't, I'm still going to read it. Um, Chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Take note, there's a great crowd there waiting for him. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Hey, my daughter's sick. I need you to heal her. There's a crowd around. That's the setting. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. Let's go, Jarius, to your house. And he goes went with him. Notice what happens next. And a great crowd, verse 25, followed him and thronged about him. That word means pressed in closely. Very important. Underline that word if you have uh, something to take notes with. Thronged about him. Pressed in closely. There's a reason why... Mark is telling us that detail. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Someone say 12 years. It's a long time. Who had suffered, catch this, suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. This is is so crucial. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For he said, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Look what happens next. And Jesus, perceiving himself, that power had gone out from him. So weird. Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. Immediately turned around. Oh, I love this. About in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? I can see Jesus walking. He's determined to heal this servant. Who touched my garments? Who's going to touch my Jewish made garments? And the disciples said to him, "Uh, Jesus, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Last verse. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. So, Set it up. He says, her faith made her well. So the question I want to look at as we're answering, what does true faith look like? The kind of faith that connects us with the kind of power that Jesus wants you and I to experience. We have to look at this woman. What did she do? Jesus doesn't say, this is what the kind of faith is. But we get to see what she does and how she handle things, reveals what her faith was like. I want you to see, sometimes you have to look in the Bible, spend some time, we're looking for an easy formula, one plus one equals two, but take some time to go, okay, so Jesus doesn't say, this is what was about her faith that made her well, he just said her faith made her well, so we look back and say, what was it about her faith that made her well? What kind of faith did she have? Was the way she acted in faith different than the way we act in faith? Let's let's look at that. Because here's the contrast that we need to make. Remember I said underline the word throng. They're pressed in. Mark has this very intentional design in this story to let us know that the crowds were pressing in around Jesus so that everyone was touching Jesus. And he sets it up to make you see the difference between the crowd's touch and the woman's touch. The crowd's touch and the woman's touch. The crowd's pressed around him. They bumped up against him. The woman, Matthew's gospel says, touches the fringes of his garment. I imagine people, if this was Jesus, they're just shoulder to shoulder. And this woman comes up and just touches the fragments, the fringes, the outer layer of his garment. Many people touch Jesus, but one person experiences his power. What was the difference? You with me? Many people touch Jesus in this story. One person experiences his power. I'm asking why? What does this show us about faith? Think about the crowds for a second. The crowds were gathering around Jesus. The Bible tells us in Matthew that they were waiting for Jesus. Okay? This takes some imagination. We have to imagine things. It's not anti-biblical to use your imagination as long as it's aligned with the scriptures. Come on, somebody. Don't be a robot. You can think in. These people were human. They are waiting for Jesus why would you wait for Jesus? Two reasons you want something from him or you want to see him do something that's it you want something from him which is not bad or like John 6 says Jesus like you guys are following me not because of a sign but because you got some some bread you're following me not because of who I am and what I can do you're following me because you want you want some bread you want You want me to do the miracle again so you can have some food? You want your stomachs fed? It shows us that not everyone was around Jesus for the right reasons. Their proximity to Jesus was probably due more to interest and intrigue than need. Why? Because when Jesus came and met and Jarius said, I need you to come heal, the crowds could have just weighed back. Why did they follow Jesus? I know for me, if I was in that position, I would have followed Jesus because I wanted to see him heal this girl. Ooh, I want to see, nothing wrong, but let's put ourselves into their shoes. For them, Jesus might as well have been a means to an end, seeing the miracle. Jesus might as well have been a means to an end. I want to get close to you, not because I love you or I believe in you, but I want to see you do this thing. I want to be a part of this movement I want to get close to you because it's electrifying. I'm intrigued. I am interested. Okay. That's the crowds. Probably why they were around them. Were some people probably believe in Jesus and following him for the right reasons? Sure. But in the crowd that size, everyone pressing in against him, not everyone was there for the right reason. Probably a lot of them were due more to interest than intrigue. But this woman was different. Luke tells us that she has a chronic discharge of blood for 12 years couple things you need to know about that. One, in that culture, in the Jewish law, bleeding for anything made you unclean. The way she was bleeding probably made her more unclean because of the the, uh, purification laws so that she couldn't go into the temple and worship or even touch people. For 12 years she couldn't touch people. For 12 years she experienced shame and distance from a community she probably wanted to experience intimacy from. Mark tells us that she spent all the money she had on doctors. And she got worse. She suffered under them. She spent all the money going to all the doctors. And she just got worse under them. Put yourself in her shoes. 12 years of going to every doctor. Every MRI. Every checkup. Everything. And nothing heals the issue. I know some of us have been there. She suffered much. She got worse. Why was she around Jesus? Because she was desperate. She was at the bottom of her barrel, the end of her rope. Catch this, really important. She had exhausted all of her other options. She had exhausted all of her other options options, and look at what Mark five twenty seven says. Because she had exhausted all of her other options, she came to this conclusion. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She heard what Jesus could do. She heard what we read in Matthew 8 and 9, that Jesus did all these things. She heard it, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, and this is what she decided in her heart. She made a conviction. If I just touch even his garment, I will be made well. Oh, it wasn't, if I can get around him, maybe he might do this for me. The Bible is very clear. It's not mincing words. I heard the reports that this person heals, that he has power. And so I need to get to where the power is at. And I believe if I'm where he is and I touch him, I will be made well. What I love about this woman's intention to touch his outer garments, that she made the declaration, she had the conviction, that she just took Jesus at his word. Oh, well, Jesus is the healer right here. I'm going to take that at at the word, face value, not question it, not ask questions, not dissect it, not figure out when he's healing and why and how. If he he heals, I'm going to get healed. If he heals... I'm going to go to him. If that's where the power is at, then I'm going to go to him and I'm going to touch his garment because I will be healed. I don't know how she knew that besides the fact that she heard reports. She heard stories. But she was willing to act on what she heard. Out of desperation. What is the faith that Jesus is looking for that connects us to the power he wants us to experience? The faith that says, I trust you as my only option, not as my other option. I trust you as my only option, not as my other option. We're going to break that down in a moment. But is Jesus your only option, or is he one of many options? For this woman, Jesus was all she had left on the list. Every other name, every other idea... Every other way was crossed off. So if Jesus didn't do it, she was stuck. Number two, the faith that Jesus is looking for says to Jesus, you are sufficient for my greatest need. You are sufficient for my greatest need. She brought her, she brought her great, in faith, brought her great need to his all sufficiency. And that was enough. Jesus, you're able to do this. I'm going to bring my greatest need. Some of us, maybe we don't experience the power we want to experience because we don't give Jesus the greatest need we have. We give him other needs that he can easily take care of so that if he didn't come through, we don't have to like be worried about the fact that maybe we didn't have enough faith. They're called hedged prayers. You've ever prayed this prayer? Jesus, pray for this prayer person to be healed. But if you don't, it's not your will, then it's all good. Come on. i pray those prayers. The way I why I pray those prayers, because I'm hedging to keep me from feeling like I didn't have to stretch my faith out. I gave Jesus a way out if he wanted one. I'm protecting myself from the fact that maybe I don't have enough faith to believe that Jesus really can heal that person. She didn't go, Jesus, if you could, she said, I will, I gotta just touch him. I got to just touch him. It wasn't an option for her. It was the only option. Number three, the faith that says you are the bread of life, not just a snack to hold me over. The faith that Jesus is looking for says you are the bread of life, not just a snack to hold me over. I know most of us are saved and we love Jesus we have God's spirit in us. But somehow, in our walk with Jesus, he can turn from the bread of life just like a snack to get us through. But we go to other things for sustenance. There's this interesting story in John 6 where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Come to me. In the next sentence, he says, and if you believe in me, you will never go thirsty. What is Jesus saying here? That if there's a connection between our belief and faith and coming to Jesus as all-sufficient bread. Jesus gives us a glimpse on what faith looks like. The faith that works looks like coming to Jesus as the bread of life. Not another option. Not a good idea. The bread of life. That if I don't partake in Jesus, I will not last. I will not live. Do you see Jesus as that? Come on, be real. In our American culture, we got a lot of stuff that pads our comfort. You need you, you don't need to see Jesus as that because of this world. But do you see Jesus as that? Lastly, the, the faith that Jesus is looking for says, I simply take you at your word that you can do what you say you can do. Matthew 17:20. Nothing will be impossible for you if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed. Are you going to take that at face value or are you going to try to like, well, let me look up the Greek because maybe impossible means not impossible. What does Jesus say? Come to him like a full-grown adult with a PhD. Come to him like what? Come on, somebody. A child. You know what my child does? When I say things on a good day, they take my word for it. If I say we're doing something, she knows it's going to be done. They take, they don't question. They take my word for. it. Let's not try to complicate this. Are you taking Jesus at his word? It's very interesting. The opposite of faith in the scriptures isn't atheism. It isn't full unbelief, full blown out unbelief, uh, but doubt. You know that? The opposite of faith in the Bible isn't full out unbelief. It was doubt. That was the greatest threat to people's faith. And this is how we know this. Because James, little brother of Jesus, half brother, says this in verses 6 through 8. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom when you receive it. But what does he say? Ask with faith and don't doubt. Why? Because if you doubt, you're not going to receive what you ask for. Why? Because doubt is being double-minded. It is like a wave on the sea. You know what doubt means in the original language? Back and forth. Fractured. Split in two. Hesitant. Wavering. You know what doubt is? Keeping a few chips back somewhere else in case Jesus doesn't work out. Come on. Doubt is keeping just a few chips back just in case Jesus doesn't work out. I did a little bit of day trading in the, in the last couple of months. Put like a 20 bucks in. Felt really cool. Got an app. My wife didn't like it. Didn't make any money. But uh, whatever. Got to experience things. I'm a day trader. If You don't know what that is. You can ask me after. I'll, I'll let you know all about it. But day trading is when you put money into things. And it, somehow money comes back. That's much I know. And... Um, but here's what I learned. I moved from day trading to this app called M1. Thank you, Alex. I'm still not making money, though. I don't know what's going on. Uh, don't worry, your pastor only has 100 bucks in there. I'm not going crazy. But one of the things that's really cool about M1 is that it's safe. You know why it's safe? Because you diversify your investments. Put a little here, put a little here. So, in case one fails you, you have another plan B. It doesn't work with Jesus. The faith that Jesus is asking us to have in order for us to experience the power he wants us to experience is not diversified faith where we put 20% in him, 80% somewhere else. It's not even 80% in him and 20% somewhere else. We don't get any returns when we diversify our faith and put a little in Jesus. You won't get anything back. Oh, but come on, I believe you a little bit. No, no, no. But Jesus would say, but you believe a whole bunch of other things as well. And I'm not worthy. I'm more worthy to be put up above those things you trust than the other options you have. It's safe. Doubt is simply wavering between your other options. Between Jesus and the other things that keep you feeling safe. So here's my, just my question for you as we reflect and wrap up. Can we stop complicating faith in Jesus? Can we do what the woman did and Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. And what happened? All she did was three things. She heard the report that Jesus could do something. She had exhausted all of her other options. She heard the report. And she didn't just hear the report and stop. She acted on her report that she heard. Acted on it. Let's be real. If you have that kind of working faith, it's going to always lead to an action. It's never just intellectual. It's never just intellectual. It's not just I think this way, so now I'm good. It is I'm going to act on what I believe. In fact, James says, your faith is incomplete if you're not acting it out. Action shows that your faith is real and that it's complete. It finalizes it. She took him at his word. She believed it to be true so much that she acted out. She could have intellectually reasoned with herself saying, Jesus is a great healer and not do anything about it. Because she was risking much touching Jesus. You know why? Because she knew he was special. And you know what touching Jesus would have meant for her? She would have made him unclean. You don't do that. Especially to a rabbi. That's why she was fearful when Jesus said someone touched me. She wanted to be healed but she was fearful of it. There was shame. She was risking much. She didn't care. She still went. Acting on it with decisiveness and need. Not wavering. I encourage you with this, this last thought. We're going to take communion. The worship team can come up. This is an interesting story that Jesus has in the Bible. It's really challenging to me. Jesus talked to the disciples about forgiveness and Jesus says, the disciples say, Jesus, can you increase our faith? Increase our faith, Jesus. You ever prayed that prayer? Increase my faith, Jesus. Give me more faith. Not a wrong thing to ask, right? Well, I thought it would be a great prayer to ask. Great prayer to have. Increase my faith. Nothing wrong with that, it seems, except that Jesus doesn't play into that kind of question. Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, you got it. Increase your faith, cool. Here's the three things to do to increase your faith. So shocking, but so encouraging. Listen in, lean in. Jesus says, no, no, no. If you just had the faith the size of a mustard seed... You can say to the mountains, move and they will move. Why does Jesus say that? Why wouldn't Jesus say, oh, you want your faith to increase? Here's how to increase it. Listen, to so hopefully frees you up. Jesus at this moment is making very clear, it's not about the amount or size. Wait, what Chris? It's not about the amount or size of your faith. You know why I know that? Because Jesus uses the smallest seed that they knew of that day, a mustard seed, fits in on your finger. So, what was Jesus saying? That you're going to have the size of a mustard seed, faith? So, they had like half the size of a seed. There wasn't anything smaller. What Jesus was making the point that it's not about the size, it's about putting what you got all into Jesus. It's not about the size. It's not about, do you have an eight-level faith or a two-level faith or a ten-level faith? Because if Jesus made it about that, you would be stuck going, what's the level of my faith? No. Jesus doesn't want us to to be trapped in our head on this non-stop game of figuring out where we lay on the spectrum. You know what Jesus wants you to do instead? Put what you got all into me. You got one chip? Put it all in. Put it all in. You got ten chips? Great. Put it all in. It's not about the size. Are you putting what you have? Listen, answer this in your heart to the Lord right now. Are you putting what you have of faith all into Jesus? Or are there other things? You know why that's encouraging to me? Because I I think I don't have the greatest faith. And Jesus says, it's okay, child. Just put what you got all into me. Just put what you got. The smallest seed, put it All in me. Put your weak faith all into Jesus. Oh, but Chris, that can't be the way we experience miracles. Oh, yes, it is. You know why I know that? Because the Bible doesn't tell us another way, family. There's no other way conclusion, Jesus wants us to be healed. He wants us to experience his power. We know it. We don't know how he's going to do all the time, but he wants us to. Number two, we know there's a connection with faith and receiving his power. Number three, that faith isn't about being large or small, but about being all in on Jesus. So let me ask you some questions. What area in your life are you keeping your options open? Come on, let's get real. I don't want to leave with like, that was cute sermon, Chris. Who cares? Who cares if you took notes? I want to leave changed. Do business with the Lord right now. What area of your life are you keeping your options open? This might sound small to you, but it was big to me. A month and a half ago, the Lord put it on my heart that we had to give up Slow Joy, our coffee business. We grew for seven years. And most of... Our personal Instagram was filled with stories of this company. Why? Because it's a part of our life. It's the reason that I'm living where I'm living, which allows me to stay in Oakland because it's cheap. Come on, somebody. It's the reason why I connected with the movement church. The reason why I'm here today as your pastor is because Pastor Ed, six years ago, found Slow Joy on YouTube uh, as a Kickstarter and connected with us. I would never have been here without Slow Joy. Very important in my life, in my wife's life, in our family's life. But the Lord said six weeks ago, you need to give up Slow Joy. Nothing wrong, we had money, we were we had popularity, we had articles written about us, we had good coffee, good reviews, a good future ahead of us, free rent, come on, we had it made. But to be honest, part of it was at first it was like this is easy because I want to get rid of it because I'm busy here and I don't have the time. But I felt it yesterday. it yesterday because in the moment I was cleaning up the shop. and it's the last time we're going to be at the shop. It's our shop. We're handing it off to someone else who loves Jesus. I'm super excited about it. It's definitely the Lord's will and we get to be generous as the Lord is the generous with us. But it was hard and it hit me that there's a cost of this. There's a cost of faith pushing all your chips in. It's, the, it's good. It's going to bring about good but there's a cost to it. See, keeping Slow Joy open was in the back of my mind an option in case this didn't work out. (laughs) In case y'all didn't vote me in. In case y'all vote me out. Ah, you can't do that. I'm locked in. Lifetime term. In case something happened, maybe the church didn't have enough money and I needed something, there's a little bit of security. You know what also was comforting? That my identity, part of it was wrapped up in me owning a business. I I felt good about that. Nothing wrong with that, but I built some of my identity around the fact that, oh, I own a coffee shop. Made me cool. But Jesus was like, are you going to have part of your identity in that? Are you going to put full identity in that you're a pastor and minister of the Word of God? See, because when I told people what I did, I would say I'm a pastor, but I would start with the coffee shop. Why? Because that made me look really dope. I told people I the a pastor, and they're like, yeah, cool. Well, people I own a coffee shop, they're like, tell me more. And then I told them I was the pastor after. like, well, you're a cool pastor. I don't get to be a cool pastor anymore in their eyes. But it took faith to say, I'm going to put all my chips in on what the Lord has called me to do in this house for his mission here. That's my life. What about your life? Where are you pushing all your chips in and not keeping your options open, hedging your bets? What promise of Jesus do you need to believe at face value? Stop trying to complicate it. Stop trying to look up the Greek words. Stop trying to look up different commentaries. And just read the Bible and say, I believe what he says because he says it. As a child. And lastly, what action do you need to take this week to exercise your faith? Some of us are not experiencing what we assume and want to experience from faith. Because we are not acting on what faith demands us to do in the moment. Faith, Jesus says, is going to demand something of you. Pick up your cross, Jesus says. He doesn't say intellectually believe in me. He says give up everything. You don't have to sell everything, literally. But you got to detach yourself from everything. It is a spiritual, emotional, and sometimes, oftentimes, physical detachment from this world. So you put all of your chips in on Jesus. And can we just say today that Jesus is asking all of us, if we want to experience his power, push all your chips in on me. I'm worth it. Jesus, I believe this. I stand by this, has never let one human down in history maybe according to their expectations, but never according to his promises. There is never a promise that Jesus has promised that he has let people down on. Would you stand with me? Stand as we prepare our hearts. you might be thinking like, wow, Chris, I was really looking for like this really specific way to have faith that was blowing my mind and gave me a new way. There's nothing, family, nothing but child life faith. And here's what I know. As we get ready for communion, I want just to put this as a framework over your mind. It's over your heart. Thinking back to the woman. Thinking back to the woman who had all options exhausted and she treated Jesus like a last resort. And I want to say this to you. From a pastor's heart, from, a, from a, a human who is frail and weak and doesn't have faith all the time. Jesus isn't disappointed in you when you come to him as your last resort. Can I say that to you? Jesus isn't going, oh, so all your options are up, now you're coming to me? No, no, no. The Jesus that I know, he says, come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. I don't care if you try everything else. Come to me. You know what I know? (laughs) Oftentimes, the only people that truly come to Jesus are the people who try everything else and figure out nothing else works. I love what Matthew Henry says, it is usual with people not to apply themselves to Christ until they have tried in vain all other helpers. And they find in them, as certainly they will, physicians of no value. Like the woman who for 12 years looked at every doctor and no doctor could do anything. So she finally came to Jesus. He finishes by saying, and he, Jesus, will be found a sure refuge even to those who make him their last refuge. That's the Jesus I know. Just come to me. I'm not going to reprimand you. I'm not going to read you the right act. Come on, you didn't do this right. You should have came to me earlier. He just wants you to come to him. Can you come to him in this moment? I don't care what you did this morning. He doesn't care what you did last week. If it means getting in the way of coming to him now. Come to him. As we take communion, I want you to think, Lord, this is the area. I I'm not willing to come to you in this area. I haven't come to you in this area because I don't believe. Or maybe you're at the point where you're saying, I've tried everything. I need to come to you. I've been messing around, going in circles. I need to come to you. When we finally get to Jesus, our needs will be great and our options will be slim. And listen to me, that's the way Jesus likes it. (laughs) because that's the breeding ground of real faith. <laughs> when you finally get to Jesus as your last resort, your need will be great and your options will be slim. You'll be set up perfectly to have the faith that Jesus wants to connect you with his power. So it's okay. Come to him week. As you're ready, we're going to sing and respond and worship. I want you to take communion, partake in it. If you're a believer, baptized believer, this is for you. If not, don't worry. You can skip out and wait. We want to keep this as sacred. This is, this is sacred. This is Jesus' broken body. His poured out blood. We believe that we get to partake of something spiritual that happens in this moment. As we say, Jesus, I'm coming to your broken body. I'm coming to your shed blood. And I'm going to do what the man in Mark 9 24 says. As I speak this over your life, Jesus He was dealing with this man, and this man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just come to him today and say, I believe, but help my unbelief in this area. Partake in the fact that Jesus has done everything for you to be healed and whole, and then say, Jesus, do what you want. Heal me on your timing and your way, but I'm going to be making sure that I'm not the obstacle. If you don't want to, that's fine. But I'm making sure I'm not the obstacle today. Let's commit today. Say, it's not going to be on me, Lord, that you don't want to heal. It's on you then. It's not on me. I got the faith. I'm pushing my chips in because you died for me. If I know you died for me, you're going to live to bless me and give me everything good. Amen. As you see fit, as you do business with the Lord, take communion. Sit here with it. Don't rush. Ponder. Push your chips in. And let's worship the Lord. Father, we... We come, we come with need, with need. We are needy and weak people. I'm a needy and weak pastor. I'm a needy and weak believer, a needy and weak father. I'm a needy and weak person. I can't even talk right, Lord. We are so, so in need. And that is why you say, come to me, all who are burdened and tired and exhausted just fall and collapse into my arms and I'll give you what you need so as we take this communion this meal we remember Lord that you opened up your arms on Calvary you said every sinner every sufferer welcome here they are welcome here I don't care what they look like I don't care what they've done Would you meet us, Lord, in these next few moments for your glory? Amen. Church family, communion on your left and right. Let's do business with the Lord right now.